gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, don't be afraid to step right up. Be enchanted, blown away, but above all, be amused. The following acts will unveil the world's many faces. Faces with or without a smile. Faces of sadness with stubborn frowns. Filled with malice, mischief, bile. The fools, the jokers, and the clowns. Release the monsters and the man upon a world so woe begun. We say you time and time again, the freak show of life is always on. Let us begin. Welcome back, everyone, to an all-new episode of Not Another Horror Podcast. We're on Season 1, Side B now, Episode 11. Now, what that means is we're going to be doing things a little bit differently throughout these last remaining episodes. They're going to be way more theme-based. If you like it, you know... It'll stick around for season two, but if you don't, well, you know, it is what it is. And before we get started on the episode tonight, I do want to thank some of you for nominating us in four categories for the SMEPA Awards. Now, we were nominated for Most Underrated Podcast, Best Host Podcast, thank you, (laughs) and uh, a few more, so... If you want to vote, you can vote in the listen notes. Now, what are we going to talk about today? Well, you probably guessed it from the intro. We're going to be talking about the circus. Now, as a kid, I grew up with a fascination for the circus. I romanticized the idea of running away and joining the circus like a lot of children back in the day. But it wasn't until I was older that I would learn why that wasn't necessarily a good thing. Now, to take you on this journey through the circus and the horrors it provided, I'm going to have to start somewhere. Because the circus has a very long history. The origin of it is still widely debated. But the man credited with creating the modern circus, yeah, I just use air quotes, (laughs) is Philip Astley. Now, what do I mean by modern circus? Well, that would be the circus as an integrated entertainment experience that includes music, domesticated animals, acrobats, and clowns. It traces its heritage to Astley's Amphitheater, a writing school that Astley founded in London following the success of trick-writing displays given by him and his wife, Patty Jones, in 1768. But on this episode, we're not going to talk about acrobats, my personal favorite, or clowns, yet. What we're going to talk about tonight is the freak show, or the sideshow. We'll be right back. Hey there. It's your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rossetti, and I just want to have a quick heart-to-heart with you now. 
You've probably been wanting to start your own podcast, but can't seem to get the ball rolling or you just don't know where to start. And trust me, I get it. There are a lot of options out there. It's almost overload. But today I'm going to tell you about the easiest way, and that is to download the Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to start your own podcast stress-free. No complicated software or membership fees. It's all free. And they'll even distribute it for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start earning money right now with no minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app to get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. Nowadays, we would never use the term freaks. But this was a different time. A time where being different in any form left you outcasted, unable to get work, and basically destitute. But when P.T. Barnum would enter the scene, things would change for some of these people. You see, P.T. Barnum was at the core a good salesman, if nothing else. I mean, he could sell anyone on anything. He definitely knew how to sell you an illusion. And most of his acts were making a small fortune. They didn't mind being displayed because where else were they going to go? So it sounds like P.T. Barnum was your savior. That he just came in and changed their lives for the better. That's what we want to believe, right? <laughs> or how very wrong we are. You see, not everyone was part of this freak show. Willingly. In fact, some were there by force. Let's talk about his first victim, Joyce Heth. Now be warned, this might break your heart a little bit, but little is known of Joyce's early years. But in 1835, she was held as an enslaved person by John S. Bowling and exhibited in Louisville, Kentucky. In June 1835, she was sold to promoter R.W. Lindsay. Lindsay would then introduce her as having been the childhood nurse of George Washington. But he just couldn't sell that. So he sold her in her old age to P.T. Barnum. Posters advertising her shows in 1835 read something like this. Joyce Heth is an unquestionably the most astonishing and interesting curiosity in the world. She was the slave of Augustan Washington, the father of General George Washington, and was the first who put clothes on the unconscious infant, who in after days led our heroic fathers on to glory, to victory, and freedom. To use her own language when speaking of the illustrious father of this country, she raised him. Joyce Heth was born in the year 1674 and has consequently now arrived at the astonishing age of 161 years. Now, did that draw you in? Well, it failed to draw much of a crowd at first. So what did old P.T. Barnum do to fix this issue? Well, he of course got her drunk and extracted all of her teeth to make her look older. I guess he wanted the authentic look of whatever a 161-year-old person would look like. 
Apparently, they don't have any teeth. Now, at the time, slavery was outlawed in New York, but old P.T. Barnum exploded a loophole where he leased her for $1,000 to take her on tour across the United States. People could actually take her pulse, touch her, and shake her hands, treating her basically like an animal in a petting zoo. He overworked her for 12 hours a day, six days a week. Joyce was blind and almost completely paralyzed. She could talk and has some ability to move her right arm. But when Barnum started to exhibit her on August 11, 1835, at Nibble's Garden in New York City, for skeptics, that discounted the legitimacy of her age. Her body aided in the belief of her exaggerated age. Harriet Washington states that, at the time of her display, Heath had a very small frame, deep wrinkles, was toothless and had fingernails that resembled talons due to P.T. Barnum refusing to let anyone cut them. She would be treated as an oddity up until her death, but even then, Barnum wouldn't allow her to rest. He still managed to make a profit off of her. How you might ask? Well, I hope you're ready for this one. To gratify public interest, Barnum set up a public autopsy. Barnum engaged the service of a surgeon, Dr. David L. Rogers, who performed the autopsy on February 25, 1836, in front of 1,500 spectators in New York City. With Barnum charging 50 cents admission, when Rogers declared the age claim a fraud, Barnum insisted that the autopsy victim was another person and that Heath was alive on a tour in Europe. Later in his life, Barnum would admit it was a hoax, but why he claimed it was not even her to begin with, it, it just confuses me. But a lot of things P.T. Barnum does confuses me personally. But one thing he was not confused on is black people. Now, P.T. Barnum had a fascination with anything different. Black people would become something Barnum would pay top dollar for. Let's take a look at twins Eco and Ico. And this is the greatest show, they say. The boy's story began in 1899 when nine-year-old Willie and his six-year-old brother, George, were living with their mother, Harriet, in the sharecropping area of Truvine, Virginia. As albinos, the African-American brothers were born without pigmentation in their hair and skin, leaving them with unusually pale appearances. Now, this was 1899, so white people in that area probably weren't used to seeing albino black children. They were the grandchildren of slaves. Willie and George were put to work from a young age, exterminating bugs on the plants, but in 1899, their lives would change. As the story goes, the children were out in the fields when they were approached by Robert Stokes, a man who worked in the circus industry. It's unknown how Stokes found out about Willie and George, but like I said before, two albino black children definitely stood out. 
But nonetheless, their Hawaiianism undoubtedly made them attractive to an industry that cashed in on apparent peculiarities. Allegedly, Stokes used candy to lure their brothers into a waiting carriage before whisking them away from their family. At first, the strangeness of Willie and George's appearances was sufficient in keeping the crowds entertained and coming through the door. But then later, somebody hit upon the idea of giving the pair instruments to liven up their act. However, the brothers surprised everyone when they displayed an incredible level of musical talent. Apparently, they were able to play almost any tune after first hearing it. Then over time, Willie and George were molded to make them look even more unusual to crowds of the period. Dressed in elaborate costumes, the pair had their hair styled into long, semi-freeform dreadlocks that sprouted from their heads. And by the 1920s, the brothers had become part of the famous Ringland Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus. As for Willie and George... The pair were given both the stage names Eco and Ico, and some outlandish origin stories. At one point, the brothers were exhibited as cannibals who had been found roaming the wilds of Ecuador, or alternatively, members of his sheep-headed tribe. And yet another story, the two had reportedly been discovered aboard a raft drifting off the Madagascan coast. But while circus promoters were busy spinning elaborate tales, Willie and George's mother was desperately searching for her lost sons. By that time, Harriet had moved to the up-and-coming city of Roanoke in Virginia to secure more lucrative employment. And it was here that she apparently experienced a prophetic dream. According to Muse family lore, Harriet was also a seer and had dreamed that Willie and George were on their way to Roanoke as part of the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. This turned out to actually be true. And when the brothers' train arrived in the city in October 1927, she joined the throngs of people heading to the fairgrounds hoping to catch a glimpse of the Eco and Ico brothers and their acts. Now, story aside, if you Google these guys right now, they look very modern, like something you would see in any fashion magazine right now. It's actually kind of cool, but I digress. <laughs> By that time, Willie and George were performing under perhaps their boldest tagline yet, with a banner outside the size show suggesting that they might be aliens from Mars. However, when Harriet managed to make her way to the front of the crowd, the young men recognized their mother at once, even though they had been told she was no longer alive. During the emotional reunion, the boys' circus manager, Shelton, arrived insisting that Willie and George belonged to him. Yet even though she was a poor black woman facing up against a wealthy white man, Harriet stood her ground. They are my children she is reported to have said, can't no white man birth two colored children. <laughs> I'm sorry, that always makes me laugh. Amazingly, the ploy worked and Harriet was allowed to leave the circus with her sons in tow. Then, 
A couple days later, she attempted something even more audacious. A legal battle against the mighty Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus Empire. All in the hopes of getting justice for her sons. Because what I haven't told you is that for 20 years, Iko and Iko did not get paid for these 12-hour workdays. They were one of the biggest draws and brought so much money to P.T. Barnum, but they were never paid. Ultimately, she was victorious in securing backdated pay for the time and the brothers had spent performing. But although Willie and George initially returned to live with Harriet, they found the cramped conditions, not to mention her overbearing new husband, a challenge. As a result, they were back at the circus within a year of having first left. This time, however, Harriet ensured that their brothers were lining their own pockets as well as those of circus bosses. Now, you have to take into account these guys had, at this point, traveled the world. They had been, you know, adored by people. So them coming home and being the subject of ridicule didn't sit well with them. But once they got back to the circus, Willie and George's careers hit new highs. Apparently, they met the King of England at Buckingham Palace, toured the Hawaiian Islands, and appeared in front of vast crowds at Madison Square Garden in New York. But despite their success, Shelton still watched their every move. Furthermore, those responsible for paying Willie and George their wages often fell behind, but Harriet never gave up. And with her team of lawyers, she always ensured that her sons got their money. Eventually, she was even able to purchase a farmhouse and so began dragging the Muse family out of part. She was even able to purchase a farmhouse and then began dragging the Muse family out of poverty. Then in 1942, Harriet died after suffering a heart attack, having never seen her sons retire from the circus business. Two decades later, however, the brothers finally returned to Roanoke to live out their days in a house bought with the money that their mother had put aside. George eventually passed away in 1972, but Willie lived to the grand old age of 108. He died in 2001. And that whole family, uh, there is definitely a lot of supernatural lore to them that I found so interesting. And the fact that he lived to 108, man, <laughs> you know, something mystical has definitely got to be in that bloodline. If you're wondering why Harriet didn't get her children back sooner, well, this was during the Jim Crow era, and the top cop in town was the leader and founder of the KKK. She could have been Lynch, so you see why she didn't push the issue too much. P.T. Barnum, however, wasn't the only person who loved exploiting people. Sometimes, it was their own parents. Bearded women have been a sideshow staple since we can remember often billed at the top of any list of circus freaks. And Annie Jones, the bearded lady at P.T. Barnum's greatest show on earth, was one of the most successful bearded ladies of all time. Yet that didn't stop her life from being marked by tragedy. Annie Jones was born in Virginia in 1865, 
reportedly exiting her mother's womb with her chin already covered in hair. Her parents' initial shock to having an infant daughter with the facial hair of a full-grown man quickly faded after they realized that they had been presented with a unique money-making opportunity. Jones was just nine months old when her parents sold her. Wait, excuse me. Rented her out. Yes, you heard that right. They rented her to P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum would then go on to display her in New York City. The tiny girl was billed the Infant Esau, a reference to the famously hairy brother of Jacob in the Old Testament. Jones was described as the most marvelous specimen of hirsute, development known since the days of Esau, and thus began her career in show business before she could even walk. She was such a popular attraction that Barnum offered her mother a three-year contract at a rate of $150. Now, if you want to do the math in your head, they were basically paying her $4,000 for a three-year contract. But Jones would serve as a sideshow attraction for far longer than the term of the initial contract. As time went on, the infant Esau grew into the Esau lady, and eventually the bearded lady. Jones did marry a man named Richard Elliott, a sideshow barker, the man who shouted at passerbys in an attempt to lure them to see the attractions in 1880, but because she was only 15 at the time, whereas he was a full-grown man, he concealed her age and her parents disapproved of the marriage. Nevertheless, the marriage lasted 15 years until the two divorced. Not long after, Jones married a man named William Donovan. The two decided to travel as a dual act for a while and toured Europe together before he unexpectedly passed away just four years later. Rather than continue on her own, Jones opted to return to the only home she had ever really known and rejoin P.T. Barnum's greatest show on earth. Although Annie Jones owed all of her fame and fortune to being billed as a Barnum freak, it was at this point in her career that she campaigned against the use of the word to describe sideshow performers. However, she passed away of tuberculosis at age 37 on a visit to her mother, having known no other life than that of a freak. Now that's all the time we have tonight, but the story isn't over. Now, we still haven't covered a lot of what happened in Europe at the same time. Because there were other sideshow acts that were not part of P.T. Barnum. But next week we will dive into some crimes committed by this cabinet of curiosities. Life after the circus for some acts is incredibly hard. And Barnum aside, not all of these acts were good people either. And before I end this episode, I do want to tell you that I am a guest this week on Beyond Terrestrial. Now, if you want to listen to the episode on there where we talk about Mississippi urban legends, it's also in the show notes. As always, if you like the show, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Stay safe, stay sane. Insert witty outro here. (laughs) 